Amen. Good morning. How are we? You guys excited to be here today? Let's get rowdy. Come on. All right. If you have your Bible, my name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Doesn't really matter. But if you have your Bible, you can head over to the book of Haggai. I know you guys are pumped. <laughs> I know you've been waiting for Haggai. All right. We're going to get it today. We're going to get into Haggai. Maybe you know where it is between Zephaniah and Zechariah where you're always spending time every morning in your daily devotional. Maybe you don't know where it is. Might be time for the table of contents. You can also grab the Bible out of the, you know, from under your seat or the seat around you and head to page 791. Online campus, North Campus, South Campus, everybody excited to be with you. Let me ask you a quick question uh, and then we'll jump into Haggai pretty soon. But uh, have you ever started something or stepped out in faith or out of your comfort zone and got going on something you thought was good and God and all that and it just didn't pan out the way you thought it was going to pan out? Has anybody been there? Like maybe you tried for like a long time. You like put a lot of time, effort, money, relationships, whatever into this thing and it just didn't pan out. H have you ever like looked at your life, your relationships, your family, your house, your garage, I don't know, and just looked around and thought, man, I thought things would be better by now. Anybody ever thought that? Could be like, yeah, somebody's like, nope, <laughs> liar. Could be like any season of your life. Like maybe you're about to start your senior year in college and you're like, man, I was okay with uncertainty as a freshman, but now I don't, still don't know what I'm going to do with my career and what I'm going to do with my major and all that. And I really, I thought things would be better by now. Maybe you've been in the same job for like 10 years and when you started there was all this upward momentum and this excitement, but now it's like, man, I thought things would be better by now. Maybe you thought you'd be married by now, but you're not. Maybe you are married and you thought it'd be better but it's not, it's a struggle, and you're going, I thought things would be different. I thought I'd be farther along. Maybe you've got little kids at home, and a couple years ago, you were, like, praying towards that and believing God and so excited about having little kids at home, and now you're, like, staring at all these diapers and all this stuff, and you're like, man, it's not what I thought it would be. I thought it'd be better. Maybe you've got grown kids, and you thought you'd be best buds, but you hadn't talked to them in a while, and you don't talk very often, and you're going, I thought things would be better by now. As a pastor, I talk with people about this on the spiritual side of things, too. Like, they start, you know, the Jesus stuff, and they're like, I'm going to put Jesus first. I'm going to put church first. I'm going to start, like, really running after Jesus. And then, you know, when things don't change pretty quickly, they're like, man, I thought I'd be farther along than I am right now. I know me personally, I have this tendency to have these expectations that if I'm doing the God thing and the right thing and the wise thing, that I'm going to see some pretty big, fast results, you know what I mean? I have this tendency to kind of think that way. Like if I, if I eat a salad for lunch at dinner, I'm looking at the scale. I'm like, do your magic salad. I'm just kidding. I don't eat salads. It's ridiculous. But I do have this tendency to have these big expectations, big and fast results. And I, man, I, I struggle with some disappointment on the backside when things don't actually end up the way I thought they would end up. I thought things would be better by now. Anybody ever felt that? Anybody with me? All right. That's the feeling, the mood in the book of Haggai. The people of Israel are looking around. They're going, I really, really thought that things would be farther along than they are right now. I thought things would be better. 
Let me give you some background to this book and this story so that when we read it, you kind of know what's going on. But this is Haggai's Old Testament. It's before Jesus entered human history in bodily form. This is when God uh, required sacrifices in the temple as a way to obey him. And this is, this is Holy of Holies. This is Ark of the Covenant. This is Indiana Jones. Okay, this is what's happening at this time. And, and Solomon, King Solomon, built the first temple in 959 B.C. So 959, King Solomon builds this temple, not with his own hands, but, you know, he financed it and he was the leader uh, doing it. And here's what you got to know about this temple. It was more glorious and more amazing and more magnificent than you could ever imagine. I mean, people came from all over the world just to see Solomon's temple and to offer their worship and their sacrifice to the Lord. It was this amazing thing, this temple, and it became the identity and the heart of the Jewish people. But at the end of Solomon's reign, and the end of his life, his heart kind of turned away from the Lord. And the story after King Solomon, all the kings that come after him, is really a story about rebellion and disobedience and idol worship. In fact, my wife Erin and I are in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles right now. We read through the Bible chronologically every year. We're there right now. And if you've been there, man, it's hard to keep going because it's just bad news after bad news after bad news. Bad king after bad king after bad king. And that's what happened after <coughs> King Solomon died. And because of that idol worship and that disobedience, God allowed a few things to happen to the people of Israel to, to hopefully capture their hearts and bring them back to him. And so a couple things I want you to know about. First of all, in 586 BC, Solomon's temple is destroyed. King Nebuchadnezzar leads an army to Jerusalem, sacks the city, conquers the city, destroys the temple. So this is more than just conquering the city. He destroyed and dismantled God's house. I mean, he crushed the identity and the heart of the Jewish people. It was this huge, huge thing. And then the Jews were taken into captivity for the, listen, 70 years. 70 years in captivity. Now, maybe you hear that or you read that. Maybe you're a church person or a, you went to Sunday school or whatever. And it just kind of, you're like, okay, they went to captivity. They, they were in captivity for 70 years. Okay, let's just bring it into our context for just a second. Imagine for a moment that a hostile foreign government destroys a U.S. city with a nuclear warhead. And then they talk to the leaders of our country and they say, we're going to keep destroying cities until you surrender to us. And so our leaders have no choice and they have to surrender. And all of a sudden, our American citizenship is stripped from us and we now belong to a different country and a different government. Now imagine... That on top of that, this foreign government, that's now our government, sends troops to Abilene, Texas. And they just start rounding people up. And they put them on planes, and they take them over to their homeland, and they make them their slaves. And they leave no one behind. They take you, your kids, your family, your parents, your grandparents, your coworkers, your neighbors. Everybody in Abilene is taken, put on a plane, and taken as slaves to this foreign land. Now we can't go where we want, do what we want, worship as we want. We're in a foreign land with a foreign language. We're captives. Now think about this. For 70 years. Now, I'm 38. That means I'm dying in captivity. My daughter, my oldest daughter, she's 14. That means she's probably dying in captivity. And my grandkids might 
with my great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids make it back here in their 60s. But captivity will be all they've ever known. That's what this is. 70 years of captivity. But they do make it back. And the small beginning of their return to Jerusalem happens in 538 B.C. When 50,000 Jews are allowed to return and rebuild the temple. This is when Haggai is being written. They're allowed to return and rebuild the temple. Now think about this. Like the relief and the excitement you would feel, right? Like, ah, we finally get to go back. We finally get to rebuild the temple. We finally get to rebuild God's house. It's finally time. And you make it back. And these guys... They made it back and they started right away. They started rebuilding the temple. And they built the foundation and they built the altar. And it took about two years. And then they come up, came up against some opposition from the Samaritans, the people who had taken over the land since they had left. They came up against opposition. And all of a sudden they were like, oh, man, this is hard. This thing that God has called us to do is actually pretty hard. And they, the people who had come back to rebuild, they just gave up. Imagine that. You're pumped. You go with all this zeal to rebuild the temple, and you face some opposition. You give up. 14 years, the project to rebuild the temple just pauses, just goes on hold. And guess what the people did instead? They did what I found myself doing sometimes in my life. They started to focus on their own houses rather than God's house, their own desires rather than God's desires. And that's when the prophet Haggai shows up. And his job is to call the people back to their purpose and to get them to start rebuilding the temple again. So that's where we're at. Haggai 1. He's actually writing this in the fall, the autumn of 520 B.C. We're coming up on the autumn of 2023 A.D. So this is the 2,543rd anniversary of the writing of Haggai. I thought you guys would be excited about that. No, I'm kidding. Here's a question. Could something written so long ago have any bearing or relevance on our lives today, 2,500 years later? I hope so because i got a sermon about it. Okay. The first verse, he addresses it to the leaders and the rebuilders, tells us the date. Then verse 2, Haggai 1 verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. These people. I think there's kind of a funny way to begin Haggai because uh, usually God, when he talks about his people, he talks about them and he says, my people, my people this, my people that. But this time he's like, these people. And I don't know about you, but I, my wife and I do this about our kids all the time. It's like when they're really doing great, it's like my son, my daughter. But when they mess up, I'm like, your son, you won't believe what he did. I come home and my wife's like, your you won't believe what your daughter did today, all right? She captured a bunch of bugs outside and thought it was a good idea to let them loose inside. You better get to picking up bugs. Your son, your daughter. God's going, these people, they're not my people, just these people, they're saying that the time has not yet come to build my temple. Now, why were the people saying it's not time to build the temple? We're going to wait. Why were they saying that? I think they were doing the same thing that I do sometimes and maybe you do sometimes. They had faced opposition. It had gotten difficult. And so they decided it must not be God's will. It got hard. 
So it must not be God's will. I mean, if it's God's timing, then it should just happen with no trouble, right? I mean, we're the same way. Like a lot of times whenever we receive opposition, we think it must not be God's will. And we say things like, if it's really God's will, it'll happen. You ever heard that before? And on a surface, these words may seem kind of true, but not what our real meaning of them is, which is if God wants me to do it, he'll make it easy. That's how I'll know it's God's will if it's easy, right? But what we need to understand is the closer we get to doing something that matters to the heart of God, the more we will face opposition. Listen, beloved, when we're trying to follow God's will, difficulty isn't a sign that God's against us. Often, it's a sign that we're on the right track. I shouldn't really worry when I'm facing opposition. I should worry when I'm not facing any opposition. Because when I'm not facing anything coming against me, I'm probably not doing much or attempting much for the kingdom, renown, and glory of God. That's just kind of a paraphrase of something Jesus said in Luke 6 when he said, everyone, beware when everyone speaks well of you. Listen, the moment you start to actually do something, not just sit and think about it and wait on it and sing about it and talk about it, but when you actually begin to do something that God has called you to do, mark it down. Stretching, challenging Difficult times are on the way. You're going to face opposition. That can be spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally, financially. So with that in mind, let me just encourage you with one simple thought. It's not easy, but it is simple. When opposition comes, choose the difficult right over the comfortable wrong. Choose the difficult right over the comfortable wrong. It would be more comfortable for me to just build my own house. It would be difficult and right to begin building God's house even when opposition comes. Choose the difficult right over the comfortable wrong. I've got to ask God to enable me and empower me to do this. Like I'm... You know, it's no big deal that I've got this sin in my life because I'm not really hurting anybody anyways. It's not a big deal. It would be comfortable and easy for me to stay in that sin and not worry about it. It would be difficult and right to begin the hard process of turning and repenting and changing by the power of God. It would be comfortable for me to stay in my grudge and my bitterness because somebody wronged me. It would be difficult and right to forgive as Christ has forgiven me. It would be comfortable for me to keep spending money like I've always spent money. Every dollar that comes in goes out, paying the minimum payment on my debt or whatever. It would be difficult and it would be right to live below my means, pay off debt, and be generous towards God. When opposition comes, let's choose the difficult right over the comfortable wrong. This is what the prophet Haggai is going to help empower the people of Israel to do. They had said, hey, it's not the time to build the temple. We're going to wait. We're going to do it later. It's too hard. They had started, faced difficulty, and given up on what God had told them to do. 
And Haggai's going, no, 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 no. It is the time. The time is actually now to finish rebuilding the temple now. So just take a second. Let's just ask ourselves, have I given up on something God told me to do? Just ask yourself that. Have I given up on something God told me to do? Like, I know when I look back, God told me to do it, but it got hard and I just had to give up. And I, and I, I know I'm supposed to do that, but I just stopped. It could, could be yesterday. It could be last week. It could be years ago. It could be 14 years ago, like in the book of Haggai. But maybe God's going to bring something to remembrance that he put on your heart. Like God told me to talk to my brother about Jesus, but it was going to be awkward. And I was worried he was going to get mad. And I just didn't do it. It was too hard. God told me to serve in the church, but man, I'm just so busy. I just didn't do it. It was just going to be too hard. God told, spoke to me about my health, that I'm supposed to treat my body like a, a temple unto him, and I was going to kind of focus on my health, and I did it for a few weeks or a year or whatever, but then I gave up because it just got too difficult. God told me to get into a life group, but I didn't. It just was too difficult. God told me that I was supposed to sow finances into this thing, this ministry, this kingdom thing that he had put in front of me, and I went to do it, but it was just hard, and so I didn't. I didn't finish. And I don't know what it is, but if God is reminding you of something, something that he told you to do, and then you gave up on it, then I want you to listen to the rest of this message with that thing, whatever it is, in mind. Because maybe God is saying the same thing to you that he said to the Jewish people in Haggai. Now's the time. Let's read on. Verse 3. This is what God said to the people. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? While this house lies in ruins. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So God says, consider your ways. Think about it. Think about the way that you're living. Is it time for you to live in these paneled houses, these nice houses, while my house lies in ruins? You've got the granite countertops and the walk-in closets and the biggest TV that you could have, you know, bought at Best Buy or whatever. And God's not against us having nice things, but he is against us putting nice things ahead of him, right? I mean, God's not worried about Jake owning nice things. He just doesn't want nice things to own Jake, And it goes beyond just material things. This is saying it's not okay to neglect God's house as you add to yours. He's going, okay, you say that it's not time to build my house, build my kingdom first. Do what I'm telling you to do. Okay, what time is it exactly? Is it a time for you to just work on your stuff? So at this point, the people are putting their own desires and their own comfort ahead of God's desires for their lives. And he goes, consider your ways. Just think about it. So I would just challenge us to just do that. Just consider our ways. Just think about it. And ask yourself, am I living life like comfort in my life is a priority over God's calling on my life? Am I trying to make a name more than I'm trying to make a difference? Am I consumed with what I want, what Jake wants, what Jake needs, what's comfortable for Jake, rather than being consumed with what God wants, making him known in the earth, telling people about his love and his purpose for them? The Bible just said, consider your ways. Just think about it. And choose the difficult right over the comfortable wrong. In preaching, 
you always want to include yourself in the struggle, right? Like you don't want to just be preaching at people. You want to use personal examples and talk through like, hey, I'm there with you. Like it's not just you, it's me. We're in this together, right? And so I, as I was thinking about this specifically, I was trying to come up with a personal example. I was thinking about, you know, putting, you know, my comfort over God's calling or, or not doing the difficult thing because it wasn't easy enough or, or whatever, you know, to building my house over God's house. I was trying to think of a, a personal example, and I got to be honest with you, I, I just couldn't think of one. I'm batting a thousand when it comes to this. I'm being sarcastic. It's my spiritual gift. It's the opposite. I had like 37,000 examples I could have chosen from, from for you. This is me. I'm right there choosing my comfort over God's calling over and over and over. Like, like five years ago, God said to write a book. He told me to write a book. I haven't done anything. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I don't even know where to start. Like God told me not to eat so many donuts. And it was too hard. I didn't stop. I just ate the same amount of donuts. Imagine that. God was willing to go to the cross for me, but I'm not willing to not go to a donut shop for him. Let me give you one that's more recent. When my wife and I had kids, which isn't recent, but I'll get there, okay? So when my wife and I had kids, we felt like the Lord told us to prioritize one-on-one -on -one time with each of our kids. Like not just at a ball game, like, hey, good job, you know, from a distance, or just in the craziness of every day, but to actually get away with them one-on-one -on, -one on a regular basis, like an hour here or there, and, and just spend concerted time with each. And so two years ago when my family was blessed to go from three awesome kids to six awesome kids all at once, we prayed and we felt like the Lord said, you need to double down on that. Like you need to for sure do that. It's, it's more important now than it's ever been. And so we decided we were going to make sure that each of our kids got a one-on-one -on -one with one parent each month. So if I lost you in the math there, there's two parents and six kids. So that means that I really only have to do three one-on-ones a month. So I'll take the boys in January and the girls in February, and then we'll switch back and forth each month. That was our plan. And listen, it's fun. It's not hard. I just take a kid out to like a coffee shop or a, a, an ice cream shop and we play Uno and we hang out and it's fun. I actually like it. I, I love it. It's like low effort, high impact. But I looked up a couple weeks ago and I realized I hadn't done a one-on-one -on -one with a kid in like five months. And if I'm honest, I didn't really look up and just realize that. My kids told me about it. And it took them a few times telling me for me to actually do anything about it. And listen, just like I got lots of examples, I got lots of excuses. Like season of life and everything's busy and I have six kids and I'm a good enough dad, I'm better than that guy. I got lots of excuses, but the truth is, I just wasn't willing to choose the difficult right. It's not even difficult. Actually, I like doing it. Actually, I wasn't even willing to choose the inconvenient right over the comfortable wrong. Maybe God is reminding you of something that he called you to do, but you gave up on it. And maybe, maybe God is saying to us what he said to the people through Haggai, now's the time to choose the difficult right. Because even though this was written 2,543 years ago, as we read on, 
I think you'll be able to relate. Look at verse 6. God goes, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Look at verse 9. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Wow. Have you ever been there? Like you're, like you're running, you're like a hamster running on a wheel, just working, 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 going, 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 but never really getting anywhere. You're putting all your time and all your effort into this career or this degree or whatever it is, and you've got nothing to show for it. Or how about this? You made it. You arrived. You got everything you thought you wanted. You got the house. You got the family. You got the cars. You got the bank account. You got the boat but still you don't feel full, satisfied. It's a devastating place to be. And the Bible is saying, just take a beat, just think for a second, just consider your ways. Am I putting God's house behind my own house? Check out verses 7 and 8. The people are going, God sent us here to build this temple. It was difficult, so we're not going to do it. We're going to wait till it's easier. But watch how loving God is. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills, bring wood, and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So God basically breaks this down into three simple steps to rebuild the temple. He goes, go up to the hills, Bring down the wood and build my house. Go up to the hills, bring down the wood and build my house. In case you missed it, go up to the hills, bring down the wood and build my house. I feel like I need to say it again because I'm not sure everybody got it. Go up to the hills. Wait a second, God. Have you seen that hill? This thing is steep. You know I get altitude sickness and... Probably trees I'm allergic to up there. Choose the difficult right over the comfortable wrong. Bring down the wood. What? That's going to take a lot of wood to build a temple, God. I don't know if you've thought of that. But I don't have that tree-chopping, timber-hauling, spiritual gift like other people. I'm more of a, like, pray for the people from the bottom of the hill that are going up to chop the trees. That's me. I'm more like plan for the people who are going up to, I'm going to be more like I'll make a sandwich for when you get back. I don't have that. Choose the difficult right over the comfortable wrong. Build my house step by step by step. God's so loving. He goes, here's one, two, and three. It's simple. It may not be easy, but it is simple. But you know what my problem is? 
I want all 30 steps. I don't want just steps one, two, and three. I want to know everything. I'm going, God, tell me all the details. I'm sitting down and I'm filling out my spreadsheet, baby. Tell me everything. Tell me, I want to know everything, not just these three steps. I want to know, like, how long are we going to do this? How much wood do we need? When are we going to go? What should I pack? Who's going with me? Who's in charge? Will there be donuts at the top of the hill? I want to know. And God's going, Jake, calm down. Calm down. I'll give you what you need. And here's what I've learned, and you decided yourself if you think this is true. But oftentimes, God wants me to do what he's already showed me before he'll reveal more. He wants me to do what he's already showed me before he's going to tell me anything else to do. I'm going, I want more information. And God's going, you can't handle more, Jake. I'll give you what you need when you need it. Why don't you just choose the difficult right over the comfortable wrong and take step one. How about you start with step one, Jake? Then I'll give you what you need as you go. I'll tell you what you need to go, tell you what you need to do as you need to do it. Go up to the hills, bring down the wood, build my house. Maybe you're going, man, I, I want to be a more present dad, a more present mom, but I just don't know how to do it. I don't know where to start. Okay, talk to a parent that you admire. Make a plan for those really important four hours a day between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. and put your phone up when you get home. Maybe you're going, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, and, and I'm trying, but I just don't know where to start. Okay, go to the YouVersion Bible app and choose any 30-day plan. Commit to reading 15 minutes a day and tell a friend. Maybe you're going, I know God wants me to work on my marriage. I know that it needs work. I know I need to put that first. I know I need to work on it, but I don't know where to start. Okay, text somebody that you think has an awesome marriage and out yourself. Like, tell them, we're struggling. We have a problem. And then own up to whatever it is you can own up to, own up to and apologize for it. And then make a plan to get on a different path, like re-engage or counseling or date nights or whatever. God's going, I love you so much. I'm going to give you step one, two, and three. And if you'll just do this, you'll be able to build my house like I've called you to build my house step by step by step. Isn't that what it means to walk by the Spirit? I mean, like, Jake wants details. Jake wants to walk by sight. Jake wants to know the future. But God calls me to walk by his spirit one step at a time. So, I asked you to think about something that God had called you to that you had given up on because it got too difficult. So, so what are you going to do? What do I do now? Jay, I got the thing, but what do I do? You just do whatever God is telling you to do. Whatever step he's telling you to take, take it. But when? When do I get started? Today. Start today. Take that step right now. You go, but what if it doesn't work? Like what if I'm left saying that it didn't pan out and it's not how I thought it would be and it didn't work out? Okay, I get that. But listen, results are God's responsibility. But obedience, that's ours. I leave the results to Jesus, but I for sure am responsible for taking steps of obedience as he 
calls me into them, right? Responsibility for results falls on God, but the responsibility for the obedience, that's on us. Okay, let's do this. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as a way to just respond to what the Lord is saying today. Just ask the Lord, what is it that you're speaking to me today? I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what God's speaking to you. Maybe it's something new. Maybe it's something that you gave up on a long time ago. I, I don't really know, but I just want to encourage you to, to just write it down, whatever God is speaking to you. I even left some room in your Park News notes there just to write down. This is what maybe one, maybe two, maybe three steps that God is telling you to take. Because listen, beloved, there's so much more life and freedom and purpose for you on the other side of this step of obedience. I mean, God has so much more for you. It's not about obligation or just, you know, religious action. This is about God inviting you into more life. There's so much life for you on the other side of obedience. For me, for us. And so I don't know what it is he's calling you into. Maybe you've got some secret sin that you just can't shake and it feels more comfortable and easier just to keep it to yourself. But it's difficult and right to talk to somebody and confess and ask for help. And maybe you're living like a, a fake marriage, you know, like fake happy marriage. Like you just kind of put it out there that everything's great. But really when you go home, things are tough. Your marriage is about to crumble. It'd be comfortable and maybe easy just to let that keep going. It'd be difficult and right to talk to somebody and say, man, I need help with my marriage. I need help. Maybe, maybe God prompted you at some point to serve in the local church. And you're going, is that Satan asking me to serve and make a difference? Get behind me, Satan. No, that's God inviting you into service. So what are you going to do? And don't leave here. Don't log off until you talk to a leader. Shoot a text or an email to somebody. Talk to somebody in person and say, sign me up. I'm going to take step one. Sign me up for kids ministry or to be in a life group or whatever it is that God is leading you to do. And there, there are some of us in this room that have never fully surrendered You've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus. And, and you know he's been calling you and getting your attention and wooing you and drawing you. And you just haven't taken that step of obedience. And maybe you're stuck on what's going to happen next. You know, you're like, if I give my life to Jesus, what else am I going to have to do? Am I going to have to change my lifestyle? Am I going to have to change my friends? Am I going to have to change my job? Is he going to call me to Africa to be a missionary? Listen, I don't know. I don't know what comes next. But results are God's responsibility. You just have to obey. Don't think about all that. Just think about step one. And if you have yet to give your life fully to Jesus and you know he's calling you to do so, step one is just telling him. You don't need a pastor or a priest. You don't need a certain incantation. Just from your heart, just tell Jesus, Jesus, I want you. I need you, Jesus. I want to give my life to you. I want to surrender to you. I don't know what the future holds. I don't even know how to surrender. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me 
be yours, Jesus. Change me. That's step one. Just do that. God will give you step two and step three and step ten when it comes. But you can give your life to him right now. And I do know what one of the next steps of obedience for you is. Not because I know you, but because I've read the Bible. And the Bible talks about taking a step of faith and getting baptized as a public profession of that faith. In other words, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm staking a flag in the ground going this day forward in front of all my friends. I'm a Jesus follower from this day. That's what baptism is all about. And so if you surrender your life to Jesus right now, baptism is the next step. Maybe you've given your life to Jesus before today, but you have yet to get baptized. You know he's calling you to do it because the Bible says to do it, right? But you haven't been baptized. If that's you, there's a QR code that's going to be on the screen. You can use your phone and just with the camera scan it. You can also find it at the bottom right side of the notes, the sermon notes in the Park News. And we're just asking you three questions when you scan that. I think it's name, email, phone number. You're just saying, I, I surrender my life to Jesus. I want somebody to talk to me about baptism. We'll give you a call. We'll shoot you an email. And we'll figure out what God has. But that's a step of obedience. Don't leave here. If he's calling you, don't leave here without taking that simple step of obedience. One more thing. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I want to make sure that we understand something. We could end the message and we could just all walk out of here and be like, yeah, let's try harder. But, you know, we need the Holy Spirit to, to obey God. We need the help and the power of the Holy Spirit to obey God. We need God to help us obey God. You tracking with me? And so... I just want to take a second. I just want to pray over us for God's help, for the Holy Spirit to empower us to obey what he's asking us to do. And so if, if you, you know, online campus, north campus, south campus, if you're saying, God's speaking to me about a step of obedience I'm supposed to take. Could be surrendering your life to Jesus. Could be getting baptized. Could have something to do with your job or your marriage or service here at the church or something. I don't know what. Could be anything that God is speaking to you about. Something you dropped that he'd already told you about or something new. I don't know. But if you're saying, I've got a step of obedience that God is calling me to. And with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, would you just lift your hand up so I can pray? Yeah, I see those hands going up. Just hold them high. Jesus, I am I'm thinking about how you love steps of obedience. No matter how small they are, even raising a hand, you love it. You love it when we take steps of obedience, when we do stuff by your power. And so, Jesus, those who are willing to raise a hand and go, I've got something God is calling me to do, and I want God's help. I pray that you would give them your help, that you would empower them, and that they wouldn't leave here without taking a step towards that. That it would happen today, that they would choose, that we, me included, that we would choose the difficult right that maybe you're calling us to over the comfortable wrong that we've been living in by your power. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.